I'm Carolyn. And I'm Bethany. And we are Sisters, Sisters in Song. Today we are going to welcome a very special guest. His name is Jim Avett. He was born in Central North Carolina in the late 1940s and learned early the educational and entertainment value of storytelling. Surrounded and encouraged by parents, relatives, and neighbors who were supportive in all things musical and keenly aware of some very enthusiastic liars and storytellers, it came naturally for him to play musical instruments and write stories all his life. Jim attended the University of North Carolina Greensboro and the University of Northern Colorado, which produced two degrees, but he says not a smarter man. He continued on at Guilford Technical College and had a 40-year profession in the construction industry. He married his lovely wife, Susan, who he credits with putting up with his creative ways, and together they had three children, Bonnie, Scott, and Seth. Jim says that there is music in every day of his life in some source, though before retiring, he devoted most of his waking hours to supporting his family. Simultaneously, he made an effort to write and remember core stories, which became songs later in his life. He loves ballads and the value of teaching and sharing in songs and lessons learned by observing others. So let's welcome Mr. Jim Avid. Yay, we're so happy to have you and to get to pick your brain today and talk about music. How did you get started in music? Let's see, uh, let me... Uh make a comment on your introduction, which is a very gracious introduction. Thank you. Uh, my wife and I have been married 54 years. Her daddy, her daddy was a general in the army and I was an E4 in the Navy when we got married. And I'm sure that her, her parents wondered, what in the hell does their daughter see in the son of a preacher enlisted in the Navy with absolutely no prospect? And I told her when we got married, I didn't have a clue as to what I was going to do. The college part, uh, I got kicked out of the first two colleges I went to. Going to a couple of colleges, I went I, I went uh, the, the route, but uh, one was for social stuff and one was for uh, uh, academic stuff. But Vietnam was on. I went in the Navy in 67. I graduated from high school in 65. And I wasn't ready for college. Scott wasn't ready for college. One other thing, I am 76 years old. And to put that into focus, I could tell you a couple of things, but I'll just mention this. 47 years before I was I was born, it was the 1800s. <laughs> that, sort of, that sort of brings it into reality. How did I get started in music? My daddy was a Methodist preacher and a circuit rider. He had uh, more than one church all the time. Uh, he was a very dedicated man, a very smart guy, one of my heroes. Um, my mother was a concert pianist. She became the church organist when she married dad. Every church that we went to, when they found out she could play, she did. But uh, back <laughs> at that time, you know, everything in the church now is paid. Uh, organists weren't paid. Uh, Sunday school teachers weren't paid. Nobody was paid. And it's changed a lot. The music part, uh, my dad uh, got me a uh, guitar in a pawn shop uh, when I was 13 years old. That was 1960. Uh, I had had three years of piano and about three years of violin before I ever picked up a guitar. I didn't master either one of those. So I was trying to do something with the guitar. Um, the guitar that I bought, that dad bought, was $5. At that time, you made about a dollar an hour. That was $5 worth. You can get a guitar at that time for $5. It wasn't much of a guitar, but it was a guitar. Nowadays, you make about $15 an hour, and five times that's $75. You can go to a pawn shop and buy a guitar for $75. You're not going to get much. To me, it was heaven. It was the nicest guitar ever. I was sitting there. My brother, who was six years older than I am, and still is, 
He's still alive. He walked through. He went to Carolina. He was 19. He went to Carolina. He walked through the uh, living room and he said, uh, you want me to uh, teach you how to play that boy? And I said, God, would you? And I thought 19 year olds and people who went to Carolina knew everything. Years later, I found out that 13 year olds, 19 year olds and people who go to Carolina don't necessarily know a damn thing. But anyway, he taught me three chords, an incomplete C and an F, a four fingered F and a G7. And I played everything with those those chords for about six months. I never expected there were any more chords. Nobody told me, you know, that there were a lot of chords. There are over 11,000 chords on the on the uh, fretboard. And I was missing something, and I didn't know what it was. I got fooling around, and I found an A minor. That was the prettiest chord. That was the, the best note in the world. I started in 1960 trying to learn to play guitar. One of, uh, I think it was Scott said in an interview, said dad gave up a uh, career in music so we could have one. That's not necessarily true. If I'd have gone to Nashville in the 60s, there were some damn good guys getting there. Merle Haggard, George Jones, Waylon, Willie. And they had <laughs> talent and, and they had ambition. I didn't have either one. When I found the fourth chord, I found that I could, uh, I could impress them, but a lot better looking women. Uh, I started looking for more chords. But anyway, I guess I wrote my first song in the late 60s. Uh, this was a wholly different time. Tom T. Hall told me, and I'll try to explain it this way. He told me when he got there, the ones that came in, the ones you've heard of, the ones I just mentioned, all of them were interested in making music. They weren't interested in making money. They just wanted to make, make music. And there were some damn good writers there. My heroes, Haggard, Tom T. Hall, Roger Miller, those guys were the real deal. These guys, uh, they were excellent writers. I like to sing ballads and uh, story songs, and I write I write a lot of that. Tom Hall said that when they got there, if it had been like it is today, none of them would have made it. A couple of things as far as songwriters uh, go, there's two things that I'd, I'd like to address today. One is you got to have philosophy. And you've got to be in touch with reality as a songwriter. You may not like what I have to say, but I'm saying it out of love, okay? I'm saying out of a comrade, we are songwriters. And I want to tell you, I want to tell you what I have learned watching the boys rise, watching them go up. Uh, and Albert Einstein said, uh, if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it. So let me explain this as simply as I know how. I believe creativity is how society moves ahead. If you just sit in one place and try to play, play the same old songs, you're not going anywhere and it's going to get really old, just like anything else. Thank every audience that I get in front of for the support because there's about 10% of the people in the United States that actually, actually support live music and creativity. And I encourage that because if you don't, they're going to be dropped by the wayside. They cannot survive without support from the granola bunch, the uh, NPR people, <laughs> the people who actually care about creativity. You're going to hear some bad music. There ain't no doubt about that. You go out every Friday and Saturday night to a venue, there's going to be some terrible, terrible songwriters. But you're going to hear some Avid Brothers, too. And that's the ones you're looking for. Because you can latch on to something like that and, and stay with it. I've been asked too many times, what does it take to make it music? Creativity, music, poetry, writing uh, novels, it's all the same. It's hard work. That's the first thing I've learned. 
luck hadn't got much to do with it. You can blame it on luck if you want to, but they ain't got much to do with it. It's a matter of hard work. When the boys were coming along, they'd be out on Saturday morning nailing up posters for a show that that night. They themselves, they didn't have anybody to nail them up. It's hard work. It's just like any other profession. You want to be really good at it? You got to work at it. Truck driving, carpentry, be a plumber. Man, you got to work at it if you're going to be good at it. And songwriters are the same way. You write to affect people's lives. That is in a nutshell. That's why you're doing what you're doing. You want to affect people's lives. At the end of a show, I want people to really like me or really hate me. I don't want something lukewarm. I want it one way or another. I want to impress you or I want to impress you badly. There is a lot you don't you don't write for money or fame. That's going up the wrong tree. Writing for pleasure and writing for commercial are two different things. They're absolutely different. And everybody that I'm talking to right now is writing for, or should be writing for personal pleasure. I was a judge at Merle Fest uh, one year for, uh, and that'd probably be the last year they'll ever ask me. I was a judge for gospel music. And there are some damn good gospel writers out there. I mean, some good ones. All of them amateurs, just like your your audience, just like y'all, your amateurs. They sent me maybe 30 songs. And I was to judge them on four criteria. And one of the criteria was commercial value. I threw up. The, the best songs you'll ever hear, you'll never hear. They just won't make it commercially. But they're the best songs that you can come across. And when I when I was judging this thing, the top five, there wasn't a nickel's worth of difference in them, but there was only one that was going to be recognized. And I said, I played uh, that year at Merle Fest, and afterward I told that story that I appreciated the ones that wrote wrote the gospel songs. The guy came up to me afterward, and he said, that means uh, all oral. He was not the winner, but his was just as good as the winner. As far as songwriting, you should know, there are two big songwriting unions in Nashville, with about 400 people in each one of them. One of the country music people want to uh, get a song about love on Friday night. Well, all they have to do is tell them, we'd like to have something on love on Friday night. There's 50 songs that come their way. When art meets money, art loses every time, every time. If you write for money, you're losing your focus, you're losing your intent, and you're losing the the realism of it. People will see through that it's it's a joke. You're trying, you're trying just for the money. Uh, that ain't gonna do it. That ain't gonna do it. You have to be the first in whatever you're doing. I can sing like Willie Nelson, but they ain't gonna pay me for that because they've already paid for that. <laughs> you have to be the best at what you're doing, and you have to be the first at what you're doing. The whole key is you need to be unique. You need to be unique. If purple hair and chrome teeth will get you there. But it ain't going to keep there just because every person listening to this is unique in their own right. And the DNA that you have and the experiences you've had, you are unique. Getting getting the song out of you is a trick. And I don't know whether people would like to hear it once the song gets out there or not. You are unique and you, you just strive not to be like anybody else. To be successful and the only way you can do that, you're not going to make it doing cover stuff. If your band does cover You'll never get off the block. You'll never get out of town. There's 500, there's 500 bands within five miles of you that are garage bands. And all they want to do is get on stage. 
Well, that's fine. I'd like to go a little bit farther than that. My ambition wants me to, to let it a little bit farther out than that. So uh, you have to write your own stuff. If you do covers, you need to do covers that nobody has heard. You don't need to be doing Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain because Willie set the uh, benchmark for that one. Success is a relative thing. Success is a relative thing. If the ladder in music, the ladder of success is 100 runs high, if I get to run three, am I a, a failure? I don't think so. If I did the best that I could do, you're never a failure if you do the best you can do. How can that be a failure? I got to run three, and that some people never even found the ladder. I'm not a great guitar player. I, uh, I compare myself to pretty good guitar, guitar players, and I'm not a guitar player. I'm as good as I can be, and I, that's not all that good, but I try, and I have a good time at it. No matter how hard you try, your efforts may not be good enough. They just may not be good enough. Do you believe if you enjoy the process, it's worth it anyway? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of people that can't do any of it. You're way ahead. You're way ahead of them if that's what you're looking for. If I collected stamps, I wouldn't want to be the world's best stamp collector. I'd like to be a pretty good one. And that would satisfy me because when Scott said, uh, Dad passed up a uh, career in music, I had so many interests, so many interests. I love to read. And that's where a lot of my ideas come from for, for songs. You need to remember that art is subjective. People ask me, would you listen to my song and tell me what you think? It's just my opinion, and it don't mean nothing. You should not uh, wag it up to that star. Because what the hell do I know? There is no good or bad art. It's different. And if somebody comes to you and they're they're trying and they're trying, you don't say this is terrible. And I've heard some that's pretty bad. You don't say that. What you say is try as hard as you can. And that's what you need to do. You'll know when it's time to quit. You'll be starving <laughs> to death. I feel that, yeah, that's absolutely right. Art, art is definitely subjective and, and um, it's all based on what you know and what you learn. And I feel that you're right. Anyone can do this, but you just, you got to do it the best that you can and not, I love the part you said about not worrying about the money because that's definitely not why we are in this. Just, it's the love of it that we, we have and we may never go anywhere with it, but but we'll keep doing it just because we love it. I don't play bars. Scott and I were talking, Seth was there. He said, if I played my last bar, it ain't been quick enough. This ain't been long enough. Playing <laughs> bars, they don't pay you, and you're not building a fan base. So why are you doing it? I would yeah. assume sit on the damn front porch. I told the boys when they decided they wanted to make something out of music, you do the best you can. You write the best that you can. If it's uh, of a certain type, people want to come hear it. If it's not, we we'll sit on the front porch and entertain ourselves. That's the reality of this situation. I, I want to talk to you about the mechanics for a minute. A lot of people, a lot of people who uh, have singer-songwriter sessions don't address the mechanics very well. I, I may not either, but I, I want to bring them up. The first thing that you need to remember: there ain't no right or wrong way to write a song. There is no right or wrong way. I could lay down exactly how you know. Uh, what I think ought to be done. That's garbage. That's how I think it ought to be done. So I need to do it that way. I don't have a whole bunch of rules for that, but if I did. Creative people think differently. They think differently. What we are are observers, and we observe whatever. Anything is is open season of anything. 
Creative people are brutally honest. If they write well, they're brutally honest. Some of the songs that Scott and Seth write, we knew what was going on. Susie and I knew what was going on in their life. And it did bring her to tears because there's not anything you can do for teenagers. Not anything you can do for 20-somethings. Their little hearts get so broken and they take it so serious when really it's uh, it's really not to be taken all that damn serious. You lose a girlfriend. Get another one, you know? This is an old man talking to you. For God's sake, creative people are unique. They are deep thinkers. You only have seven notes. It's all, it's all been done. The boys have a, uh, a CD, an album called uh, Four Thieves Gone. And it was early on. It was like the second or third or fourth album that they put out. And they were realizing that all of it's been done before. I don't listen to modern music. If I listen to anybody, I'm going to listen to something out of the 1950s. 40s, 50s, or 60s. Anything closer than that, I don't need to hear because I'll sit down and write a uh, a song, and it's a pretty good song. And two days later, I'll hear on the radio this this uh, song. It depends on where you are, I guess, on the ladder uh, in life. When you're young, you don't have the experience. You don't know a great deal about life. I think I think that we're all walking the paths, and there's a million different combinations of paths. But everywhere that we're walking, you see this great big diamond. And every day you step a little farther and you see another facet. And you see things that you said, that'll never happen. Well, it happened. And you see things that say, by God, that's going to happen. Well, it didn't happen. You walk by this diamond and you see how life fits together. Not the way you want it to. Nobody said that. This is the way it fits together. I think that God gives you a 50,000-piece puzzle. When you're a baby, he throws out the pieces. They all real little. They all look alike. Your job in life is to put as many pieces of this puzzle together as you can, and you'll understand why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people. And we see some people that have got two or three pieces over here and four or five pieces over there and one or two pieces over here, and we think they're smart. They're dumbasses. There's 50,000 pieces. There's 50,000 pieces. And all the answers are there. The cure to cancer, the cure to your broken heart. Why did your boyfriend or girlfriend leave you? It's all there. And if you're having trouble understanding some of this stuff, you're trying to put the wrong damn piece in the wrong place. Throw that piece down. There's 48,000 more pieces here. That's a great metaphor. And have you written, if you haven't written a song about that already, you should. You start with a... Uh, you start with a root thought. Uh, harmony or the lack of harmony usually is where I start. Something that I agree with strongly or disagree with strongly. Becoming more and more like uh, uh, Arlo Guthrie or uh, Woody Guthrie. Pete Seeger. Those guys were social writers. And uh, I, I understand it. I've written a, a song or two that probably will never see the light of day because they may be a little bit, they might be a little bit uh, hard on people's ears. You observe an idea or a phrase or a saying, an emotion, God, love, hate, anger, you name it, jealousy, uh, hope, greed. If you hear of an incident, you can write that. Murder songs are easy to write. All you got to do, all you got to do is... All you got to do is put a uh, have somebody tell you what happened and make their words rhyme. A minor chord, you got it. That's all there is. There's really nothing more to it. I've written, 
I've written several. Tom Hall told me, told me, he said, if you write a song about somebody's relative, his relatives don't want to come and kill you. And he's right. You need to uh, change the names up and try, try to uh, disguise some of it. But anyway, I like ballads. I like story songs. And for me, all I got to do is hear a story and I, I can write something around it. You need to keep it simple. You need to keep it focused. The general population is not going to take the energy or the effort it takes to figure out what you're trying to say if you don't write it simply enough. It's got to be written simply. The general audience is not very sophisticated. Yeah, that's that's brilliant because you know, you're, you're right. I'm going to sing you a song right now. This one fits right where I'm at. Tell you what, we're talking about the mechanics of songwriting. I use, I'm an old man. When you get old, your fingers get, your fingernails get uh, thin. I could never pick as much as I play by just having fingernails. These two here, they're acrylic. I go to a manicurist and have her put acrylic on it. I hate finger picks. I, they are so odd. In my, my picking style, I have to go up and down, and you can't do that with a commercial finger pick. With my fingers, I can. This is a uh, what is called a pro pick. This pick costs about $17. It's metal that you can... It's malleable. You can make it form your finger. And the bottom is plastic and it's riveted to it. You'll never wear this thing down. You'll never wear it out. This song, this is about getting older and passing what you know to uh, your kids. I wrote this song when uh, somewhat 10 years ago or so. But the story is still the same. I tried to remember everything that uh, Susie and I had told our children growing up. All the advice. When I was writing it, when I had it shaped, I had Scott came by and I said, sit down and listen to this thing. So I played it for him and he closed his eyes and he listened to it. When he got through, he said, Dan, he said, there's a hundred songs in that song. This is called World Goes Round and Round. Sometimes life makes you smile, sometimes it makes you frown. See how life goes up and down and the world goes round and round. Little girl's hand in the old man's hand as you walk down by the creek. An old man walks, an old man's walking, the little girl walks so sweet. Old man walks deliberately a shady path on his land. Got an old man's hat and a smile on his face, holds a little bitty hand. She thinks all the world of him, he'll never let her down. He thinks of all the days gone by and the world goes round and round. Lord, the things that old man's been through and all the close calls he's seen. Two seconds difference or a half a mile would have cost him all of his dreams. But all that's past here, misses don't count. What counts is by your side. That child has dreams of her own. He wants to see her survive. The old man smiles, tells some lies, just see her laugh out loud. They sit down to rest and talk, and he tells her things about life. Pay attention. Get as smart as you can be. You'll always need to be smarter. Eat your lunch, lend a hand, and know there's better offers. Don't go and try to understand love. Stay between the ditches. Comb your hair, sing harmony. Don't take religion too serious. Leave it better than you found it. Be grateful for all you've got. Don't take the fish if you don't eat fish. Have faith. Rain will stop. You don't have to tell a lie. Stay square with the truth. Keep faith in the ones you love and they'll keep faith in you. 
Know the difference between hay and straw and understand you don't win every race. Treat the dog good, stay in tune, live life and die with grace. Life sometimes makes you smile, sometimes it makes you frown. She's all life goes up and down and the world goes round and round. You look at her long and hard, complicated thoughts slow down. You hope someday it all makes sense, you get a life and figure it out. Life sometimes makes you smile, sometimes it makes you frown. See how life goes up and down, and the world goes round and round. World goes round and round. World goes round and round. What's an advice if, for people, too? <laughs> if, I hadn't, if I hadn't sang that song for you, you'd never hear it. It illustrates what is important to me is that you leave the song knowing something that you didn't know before. Anyway, lyrics first or music first, both. A musician carries around. I, I have two or three little riffs that uh, I'm waiting on a thought to fit. I have thoughts right here in, in my uh, bookcase. I have uh, thoughts for probably 50 songs. And you can record at the house as effectively as you go to the studio. If you've got an engineer, guy that knows, knows the technical end. I think when the music stops, uh, Scott will probably make a, a living in art. And Seth will make a living in the studio because he is demanding and he knows all the technology. Digital signals have made it impossible to make money. One person can buy it, two seconds later he'd give it to a million people. That changes the whole the whole game. The only way that you can make money in music is live performance. You've got to be able to draw enough people. There's some damn good young singer-songwriters that are going to be trashed. They will never get a chance because they cannot draw enough people to make it economically feasible. You can't drive 50 miles. Well, you can't drive 100 miles and spend a night in a motel for $200 a night. That's It's impossible. And what the only people they can draw are their family. I don't care how good they are because people won't go out because they don't have money behind them. The only way young singer-songwriter can, can uh, make a living at it is have some money behind it. David Brothers did not have that. I'm not a rich man. You have to go on your talent and you have to go on hard work. That's the reality of the situation. Selling CDs, you might as well just give it away because they're going to get it. The engineers and the producers, you go to a studio, don't let them come around there and tell you what your song's supposed to be sounding like. Well, they get the technical side. That's the other side of the glass. I stagger timing for emphasis. People hate to play with me because I don't keep a, a regular metronome time. I know what that is and I can do that. And most of the time I do that, but I'm not playing in a band and there's nobody else that's got to keep up with. The ones that go on stage with me understand this and they're mm -hmm. very, very good at it. A word about writer's block. I've listed. It's like you already know. We haven't even shown it to you, but you're answering all the questions. Thank you. Let's hear well, about writer's block. Yeah, I've had uh, I've had interviewers say this is the easiest interview I ever did. Didn't have to say nothing. Just I know what you're going to ask uh, because I've been asked it before. Writer's block. Everybody gets it, and it means it means that uh, you don't know enough about what you're writing about. You need to revisit. If it's a murder site, you need to revisit that. You need to get somebody else to tell you what happened. You heard this guy say what happened. Get this person's uh, viewpoint. You're not familiar enough to let it let it come on out. Just talk. If you're talking about lost love, talk to somebody who's gone, has done it fairly recently, and and they'll be able to tell you about the hurt and about how scary the nights are and how lonely things are. They'll be able to tell you that. 
I get inspired sometimes with a different guitar. I find that if I pick up a different guitar, sometimes music just flows out of it. It makes me think about things different. Another thing that I really need to mention to you is don't get disappointed. I know it's, I've had at least two people this week who are seasoned singer-songwriters sit down in the dumps because they can't get gigs. They can't make a living at it. The reality of the situation is that if you're trying, if you quit your day job, you better go get another. Being a singer-songwriter is like, and, and wanting to be on the big stage, is like every kid that picks up a basketball wants to play in the NBA. Ain't going to happen. It is not going to happen. The reality of it, I don't really get, I don't care how good you are. There is a whole series of stars that has to line up. I'm not saying that you can't get farther than you are. There are garage bands. There are local bands. There are regional bands, national bands, and international bands. And if you're looking and you want to be an international band, you've skipped over all the rungs you're going to have to hit. It's not going to work. You should not get disappointed. If you're working on this song and it's not coming to you, put it down and start another. Don't throw it away. Three months, two weeks, six months, you go back and it's it's brand new and you say, phrase right there is the wrong one. So you cross through that and you work on it. You got all your life to finish it. If you get disappointed in it, don't throw it away. Do not throw it away. Keep everything. Haggard, uh, Merle Haggard said, he wanted everything that he wrote to be a hit. Well, that's not reality. A friend that uh, was in Nashville, he's dead now. He wrote a, uh, a song that <coughs> was a hit, the early 90s. He said the next one he had was about eight years later. He said, I must have written 400 songs in between. He said, all of those songs weren't that bad, I don't think. But they don't get the reality of the situation. They don't get picked up. The best thing you can do is when you have, when you have a song that you think, it's pretty good. You're going to wear their ears out, but find a find a friend who knows something about music and will be honest with you. And don't take it personal. If it's good, it's good. If it's not, it ain't. Go try again. If you Great are, advice. you have got to be honest and you have got to have a tough high in this. If you listen to all the naysayers, you'll never get out of the, the living room. You cannot to everybody that uh, puts you down. That's not, that's not the idea. The idea is to have a tough enough high where you just keep plowing. You just keep plowing. If you write, sing your own material, that's a whole different ball game. You may be a, a great songwriter and a terrible song singer. It's like for the boys, you have to be talented in both areas. If you if you write a pretty good song and you don't think it's, you're going to be able to get it anywhere, try to get somebody else to do it. If you know somebody who is on the, uh, out in the world on the route, uh, try to pitch it to him or her and see if, if they would work. The word fail doesn't belong in singer-songwriter stuff. The word good or bad don't belong there. It can be better than that. We always ask our interviewees three questions <laughs> that we would love to ask you. And I know you mentioned already Merle and Tom T. Hall, but who else would you consider your influences and or idols? Tom Hall and uh, Haggard and Roger Miller, Gordon Lightfoot, did you ever hear of uh, a guy by the name of Ian Tyson? No, no. You need to look into Ian Tyson. He's good. <laughs> That's our assignment. We will definitely look into him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he wrote Meet Me in Montana and a couple other things. Dan Seals. His brother was in uh, Seals Croft and uh, Young, I believe. Uh, I like everything that Dan Seals ever wrote. As far as the mechanics go, I want to show you. I don't use capos very much. This is a short boy. It covers three strings. If you turn it up at the second fret, what do you have? You have an A. 
down in Baton Rouge. I don't corroborate much. He and I, he and I wrote a couple songs. I want to do this one. His sister died about 12, 14 years ago. My sister died about uh, 10 or 11 years ago with cancer. We got together and wrote this one. Got her call Sunday morning, said there's nothing more they could do. I know how you worry. Sure, in days of food. The doctor gave me four weeks. No time's not his to give. I didn't call to talk about dying. But you say I'm going away. No more heartaches, no more suffering. Funny deaths now, my friend. Just bringing me before God's throne. Joys will never end. I go to be with Jesus, my Redeemer, my best friend. His work is done, my race is run, I'll leave on the morning. So, brother, don't you cry for me, Lord, I'm going home. I go to sing with the angels, dance before God's throne. Going to march with the saints gone by, never Brother, don't you cry for me. Lord, I'm going No more chains left to hold me. Nothing more to talk about. My faith has released me. I leave this world, no doubt. I'm going to our Father's house. He's prepared a place for me. His son's precious blood shed on the cross has given me the key. So, brother, don't you cry for me, Lord, I'm going home. I go to sing with the angels, the dance before God's throne. Going to march with the saints on by, never more the wrong. Brother, don't you cry for me. Lord, I'm going Love it. Do you have a favorite lyric or song? It could be something you wrote or something that somebody else wrote that you always kind of carry with you. No, sort of like they asked me, do I have a favorite guitar? I have a guitar I like to use in the studio. I have guitars I like to take with me on stage. I like the looks of that one right there. That guitar that I just played, the guy gave me when the house burned down. He sent me this guitar. Scott brought it over. He said, Daddy, Evidently, when your house burns down, people send you gifts. <laughs> this guitar is about a $3,500 Martin. It's um, called an authentic 1939 model. I like to play it. I like to play it in here. I have a great big J200 1985 model built in Bosman, Montana. It's black. It's long in the tooth and the, the deep end. I mean, that sucker, you can't buy that sound. You got to wait on that sound. As far as having a favorite songwriter, no. I had favorite songs. I've got a passel up. That's a tough one. I know. And so is our last question, which is, if you could perform or write with any artist, living or dead, who would it be and why? You know, a tough one. I don't like I don't like to uh, perform with anybody else. My show is, uh, I do a lot of talking. I open for 
Steep Canyon Rangers uh, last last week. Well, it'd been 10 years since I'd opened for any, and I don't like that. Not because it's opening for somebody. I don't like it because you get like 30 minutes to play. And I can't even get my damn guitar out of the case in 30 minutes. I did a uh, little gospel with uh, our children, Scott, Seth, and Bonnie. We were up at Merle Fest, and we went over to, uh, Bonnie and I were going to do the show with uh, a band. I had a couple others make the band up. I told them we're going to, have 30 minutes. He said, well, how long do you play before we come out? I said, 30 minutes. And he said, well, let's see, that's uh, three songs and two stories. That's about right. That's, uh, you know, I'm an old guy. I got, I got millions. And by the way, between you and I, I have a uh, Patreon group. You can go to jimavid.com and you can get a link there to that. For $10 a month or $20 a month or $50 a month, every Sunday I tell stories or do a art video, play a song, or something. And we have a Zoom meeting uh, every month. So that means everybody has a direct access to me. It's not always a good thing, but uh, it is a thing anyway. Well, that was going to be actually our next thing was to ask you where you are playing or performing or what other projects do you have? I did uh, two-week tours. Mid-July was one of them. And I uh, got back like week from the second one i just finished going up to canada we went up there on the on the side of that the best part of that was we stayed with some people that have a uh, maple syrup uh, farm that's been in their family for a hundred years i played there i think there were maybe 60 people that showed up at the show and only six of them had heard of the abbott brothers that tells you i go i played palmyra i played belmont new york uh, uh, Croton on Hudson. I like to play places that good guitar players don't go there. There's no, they're not on the route. So they really think I'm good. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Oh do my you, gosh. Do you have anything coming up soon? I've got, I think I've got five or six uh, albums already. I'm going to do one more. I think October, I'm probably going to spend most of the time uh, trying to get one more album put out. Well, we're looking I'm excited to, to hear that. Got, yeah. I, I've got six shows already lined up in the coming year. I used to play 40 to 50 shows a year until COVID came along. When COVID came along, I went to art and I do an awful lot of art. Okay, <laughs> I always look at what you post. I love it. But anyway, you're more than welcome to look. But I, uh, I like to do art. That's Scott had the problem. Decide whether he was going to go into music or he was going to go into art. Uh, he's very, very good at both of them. But sometimes having too much talent is as bad as having not enough talent. It can be a, uh, an albatross uh, around your neck. He uh, went through school and they had reached a plateau. As singer-songwriters, they had reached a plateau. They were a pretty good regional band, but the next step was going to have to get on out there. And he came to me and told me, he said, if we get invited to Merle Fest this year, I'll go with the music. If not, I've been accepted in Florida for a, a master's degree in art. I said, that's good enough. The rest of it's history. They did get an invitation. <laughs> yep. uh, unfortunately, Merle Fest doesn't pay. I played up there, God, six or seven times. The first time you play there, they don't pay you. You do it for the exposure. You do it at Merle Fest and you get exposed to an awful lot of people. I've got a couple of things. I'm, You know, the boys got a trip to Mexico in a, this year. They came out with the uh, announcement, and I told Susie, I said, I didn't get an invitation, and I'm not heartbroken. I understand this business. There, there'll come a time they're not going to ask, and I understand that, and I, I don't take it personal. In this business, you have to continue to be new 
then people want something that's new. And uh, I said something to Scott about it later. And they did give me an invitation. The next day, the guy called and said, uh, we just overlooked it. We did not uh, mean any, you know, personal thing. I said, there's no problem with that. I said something to Scott and I said, I know there'll come a time when you're not going to invite me and I'm not going to, I'm not going to be hurt. And I understand the business. He looked at me and said, Dad, he said, it'll be a long damn time before we don't invite you. I said, good. <laughs> oh, well, I think we've taken up a lot of your My time, gosh, but we yeah. so appreciate you. Thank you so much. And we are loving all your music, loving all your art. Thank you thank so thank much, you. sir. See ya. Bye-bye. I can't even begin to say how thrilled Bethany and I were to be able to talk with Jim Avitt. He was so full of knowledge about music, the music industry, songwriting, art, and life itself. Thank you so much to Jim for joining us today. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and family and on your social media. If you're a musician and you would like to be interviewed, we would love to talk with you. Please email us at NashvilleHotChickenMusic at gmail.com. We'll look forward to hearing from you and hope that you all will look forward to hearing from us. Thanks for listening to Sisters in Song.